Maureen Alkner has been singing since the 60s. Carving out a career as a rock pop vocalist, she began her professional career in a trio called the Chiffons. Singing back up for John Farnham and providing some of the vocals on Russell Morris's classic The Real Thing, Maureen found her great success with the chart climber Rack Off Normie, the follow-up single to Bob Hudson's novelty hit The Newcastle Song. Maureen released seven singles and two albums through the 70s and also found success as an actress and comedienne in the original Australian productions of Jesus Christ Superstar and The Rocky Horror Show. A short-lived season, two performances, of the musical O Calcutta saw her arrested along with the rest of the cast. Maureen also entertained the troops during the Vietnam War, venturing into enemy territory to relieve our soldiers from the horrors they were navigating. It's a fascinating story, and Stages was delighted to sit down with the inspiring Maureen Elkner. So you drove over. Do you, do, have you got a cassette player in the car? <laughs> no. No? No. CD player? Uh, it doesn't work. It's oh. 20 years old, my car. Oh. Somebody smashed the passenger um, mirror the other day. It's going to cost a fortune to get fixed. You know, just tore it out of the thing, so it's hanging by a wire at the moment. People are stupid, aren't they? People are nuts, yeah. Especially when uh, you're the innocent Yeah. in the whole situation. So um, what type of music are you listening to at the moment? Is there, is there something that, you, that you're playing at home? Uh, I love all kinds of music. I love Aretha Franklin. I play a lot of her at home. I guess you would have played up, a lot with recently her. with yeah, her, her passing. Death. Yeah, her death, yeah. Terrible tragedy, yeah. A wonderful singer and uh, we've lost... I mean, she's from... A time when we will never, that will never be repeated, you know. Uh, she's such a, a wonderful, wonderful singer. Uh, apparently uh, she hated to travel, hated planes. Well, she wouldn't be the first one. No, really. that's there's true. A, there's a lot of that, isn't That's it? why People. we never saw her over here. Right. Whoopi Goldberg doesn't like planes. Oh, is that right? Yeah, she, yeah. there are two where she used to have to travel by bus, I think, oh, across, my God. across America. But, yeah, there's a lot of artists like that. Hmm. Maybe that's a hangover from Buddy Holly. <laughs> Could be, you never know. <laughs> that was absolutely bizarre what happened then. With yeah. the three of them on the... With the, yeah. The Big Bopper and uh, Richie Valens. Yeah, and, and uh, one of them changed seats. One of them didn't go, remember Buddy? Oh, that's right. Who was it who didn't go? Uh, oh, I don't remember. Somebody, but yes, yes, he lives to tell the tale. But he survived. Oh, um, he's a country singer. I can't remember his name. But uh, I think he feels very guilty about that day that... The music died and her buddy died. But it's, it's sliding doors, isn't it? We, yeah. Um, we all have choices ooh. in life and if we'd selected that other door, so to speak, where would we be? Yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, so you have eclectic tastes. Yes, very. Uh, country music? I love country yeah, music. I, love country I would music love too. to have a go at country music. I recorded uh, a song many years ago with Tommy Emmanuel. He was on guitar and it was called I Haven't Cried a Single Tear Tonight. And... Um, that, that was very country. I loved it. Yeah, I love all types of music. Anywhere they're singing, I'll, I'll be, I'll listen to. It's, it's I a, love Amy Winehouse, I think. Oh, oh she's fabulous, God. isn't it? Wonderful yeah. singer. Yeah. What is it about her voice then that that it's, speaks to you? That, that it's, it's experience. You can listen to her and think, oh, my God, that woman has been through so much. And here's this young chick. I mean, she went through a lot with the drugs and the booze and the boyfriend who treated her like crap, you know. And uh, I just love that voice. It, it really stirs something inside me. Today's singers, like, I love Celine Dion. I think she's a wonderful singer. Some other singers can hit the notes and do the, the you know, go, going up and down. <laughs> what am I trying to think of? Like gymnastics with their voice. And I hate that. I really hate it. It's very clever. But the soulless. Yes, you just want people to, to to sing the text. Yeah. And 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 find the emotion. In the I want text. people to make me feel. Move you. Yeah. Yeah. And very few make me feel these days. The modern singers, but I like them as well. They've got they've got their place. And and you know that emotion can be you know sometimes we like to wallow in solo, sorrow a little bit or mm. or we like a, a skip in our step. Yeah, so that's true. It's just that connection, isn't it? Yeah, Patsy Cline. Music to slash your wrists by. <laughs> but great music. Oh, great music. And oh, a great vocalist. Once again, from the soul. And when you see her, you wonder, I mean, she had a, a, an incredible life and that was full of violence as well. Uh, but where did she get that soul from? It's like 
oh, I can't really describe it. It's, it's, you just want to sing like her. And that's where I think good singers get their influence from, from people like her. Because when I was growing up, there was Aretha, there was Dionne Warwick, which I can't really stand. can't stand her voice. There's no soul in it at all. Uh, Aretha was, was the one who influenced me when I was very, very young. I used to try and copy her a lot. And that's odd for, isn't it, for a, a little white girl to be trying to copy a black, that big black, black woman, voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. 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 But I prided myself on, um, on being a, a little white Aretha when I was very young. I used to feel so uninspired at the time, uh, Dusty Springfield. Oh, I love Dusty, but I, yeah. uh, I, I love her. And I, I did a show, a Dusty Springfield tribute for many, many years, and that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I could never impersonate her because she's different. She's just, she's got a different voice. I don't know where she gets it from, where it's placed. I can't work it out. But she's wonderful to listen to, a great, a great influence. Yeah. But but a voice also, uh, I believe a lot of people who, with sight unseen, mistook her for a black voice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, they did, didn't they? Mm. It wasn't me who changed but you. Scylla Black? Oh, Scylla. Now, she's got soul. Yeah. I'm so sorry she's gone. She's mm. a fabulous singer. When she sings You're My World, I get goosebumps. Resting in mine, I feel a power so divine. You're my world, you are my night and day. You're my world, you're every prayer. one of my songs in my show, uh, You're My World, but uh, when she sings it, uh, she started so young. As all these people start, Lulu was another one. Yeah. Oh Me Oh My just drives me crazy. I love that song so much. Connie um, Francis. Oh, Connie Francis. <laughs> you keep going. They're the kind of They're people I love. Yeah, Connie Francis. I, I did her as well. Uh, Lipstick on your collar and all those songs, and nobody knows them now. They're so old. Because I suppose I'm getting on, I'm ancient, ancient, but uh, yeah, you know all the people. They're my favourite singers. So uh, where did you grow up, Maureen? Were you, I, are you a Sydney girl? No, no, no. Mm. I'm from Melbourne and we lived in commission flats when I was uh, from about three to, to uh, ten years old in Collingwood. And it was a very, a very sad place, you know, lots of uh, poor people on welfare and... Um, not a great place to grow up. And I was in school one day, Collingwood Primary, and we were singing something, I can't remember, I think I was about five, six, and I remember my teacher said, come over here, Maureen, stand out the front and sing that song. And I got up and I sang it, and she said, you can really sing. And someone so young, and her name was Miss Crook, and I'll never forget her because she put that seed in my body that, that I knew that I could sing at such a young age. Um, a big thing too to um, 
engage with an audience at that yeah. age as well. I yeah. suppose that stays with you too. Was it, was it a musical household? Did, did no. your parents? No, have not any at all. I don't know ability? where it came from. No one is musical in my family, so uh, it's a God-given gift that I got. Maybe because I was lucky. I don't know, but that allowed me to escape from that type of community in Collingwood. And I joined my first band when I was 14 and I had to get permission to leave school from the government. Were you a happy child? No, no, no I don't think so. Living in, in those circumstances is not um, really made for happiness. It was a pretty violent upbringing, actually. But I, got, I managed to get out of it. Um, and singing saved my life, you know, because I could sing, I could join a band... And uh, at that very, I had to put my age up to 16 because 14 was just a little bit too young. Because you, uh, were you singing in uh, pubs at that age? Where, where no, were you not singing? pubs, no. 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 Um, uh, ice skating rinks, I remember that very well. Mooney Ponds Town Hall, we were reg- uh, regulars there. And these were at uh, dances? or Dances. Yeah, yeah. That was okay. the day in the, da- the, the day that they had actual dances. Right. There was no booze, there were no drugs. Everybody right. just got together and had a great time. Before all the nightclubs. Yeah, and before all that came pubs in. Pubs had bands and all that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, but I remember the Q Club in, in Q in Melbourne. Um, a lot of artists played there. And for a while, I was one of the go-go dancers at the Q Club in, in Q. I was about... Well, once again, about 14. What's a go-go dancer? A go-go dancer? Well, they, they get up and they dance with the fringe. Yep. The fringe with the bra and the little diamond, fake diamond in your navel. Right. And, and swish it around. So and... this is eye candy for the punters. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. And um, funnily enough, the, the girl that gave her costume, was her name was Paula Thiel, who uh, later married Russell Morris. That was oh. his first wife. They were married for many years. Denise Drysdale was a go-go dancer. She was dancer, a go-go dancer yeah. on Commotion right. with Ian Meldrum. Right. And then uh, later on I formed a group called the Chiffons and we were mar- mar- managed by Daryl Samble, who at that time was managing John Farnham. So we sang on all of John's early work, number one, all those songs. Who... Um who were the other girls in the chiffons? Uh, Pauline Murphy and Judy Condon. I don't know what they're doing these days. So were you all put together by <clears throat> some sort of manager or did you know each other and decided uh, to form a group? No, no. I was in the recording studio one day at Albert's in Melbourne recording uh, something. I can't remember what I was recording. Um, and these girls were in the next studio and they were forming a band and they were looking for another girl. So I got the job. So, um, oh, there goes a motorbike. <laughs> I hope they've stayed away from your car. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so leaving home, there's a, a, a period where you're singing in bands. Mm. Do you remember the name of the first band? The that Truth. You, the Truth. Yep. That was a saucy newspaper in Melbourne as well. Wasn't That's it? right. It was. It was. <laughs> I, I th- think I managed to make page three at one time in the Truth. Of the Truth. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, so, and then the, your first big break is at the Chiffons. Uh, well, oh. working with John. Um, we used to be his backing group when he did the dances. Uh, yeah, I'd say so because it got us on to shows like Commotion, Uptight, Happening 71, all those things, and then we got a contract so to go all, to Vietnam. They're all TV shows that were that existed at the time to showcase performance. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what's this I read about you squeezing Johnny Farnham's pimples? Oh, yes, we did. We did. Uh, Daryl had a... <laughs> His manager, Daryl Samble, had a place in St Kilda, uh, uh, Turak, where uh, Jean would come and stay and he'd get advice from Daryl. He was only very young then, so so were we, 15 I think I was. And uh, we used to squeeze his pimples because he had a bit of a, a pimple problem. Well, he'd be a bit of a teenager as well. Yeah. So, yes, our early history goes back to working with John. Um, and, of course, the Chiffons. Was it the Chiffons that yeah. backed Russell Morris's The Real Thing? No, that was me. Just you? Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, sorry, no, wrong. It was the Chiffons that, that backed The Real Thing. Um, Pauline's voice is actually the high voice that can be heard at the uh, the end of the song. And Molly Meldrum came screaming into Daryl Samble's office one day saying, quick, quick, I need three girls to come and get in the studio right now and help me with this song that I'm doing. And, and so we went. We never got paid for it, of course. And, uh, and he said, 
get in the studio, I want you to do anything you want to, anything. And so we got in the studio and did this this ooh, ooh, ooh thing and uh, just mucked around and said some things and had a, had a ball doing it. I think it was all done in one take. Yeah. Wow. So right place, right time. And right you become on. part of rock history in Australia. Yeah, I think that's what this business is all about. In my career, it's always been right place, right time, meeting people at parties, uh, getting phone calls and, and you know, just doing it. Right place, right time. Yeah. Of yeah. course, you've got to have the talent. But, oh, you've got to have the but, talent to back it up, sure. But sometimes it's in the, the hands of fate, isn't mm, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and that networking, uh, which is good. So the, the chiffons, you performed with for a while. Uh, did life become nocturnal? I mean, as a, as a singer, I suppose there's a lot of night gigs and, oh, and all that sort of thing. We used thing, to do, so. uh, like, we would work with the Zoot, with John, with uh, a whole lot of people do their backing vocals and do a show of our own. And we would do up to three a night. Yeah, we had this car that we they'd pick us up, take us to the gig. We had to stay in our costumes and do our makeup in the car and then finish the gig, get back in the car, go to another one and perform, then go to another one as well. Yeah, all around Melbourne. And that they were, at the, t- at the time, we were dancers. Uh, was it uh, a wild time? Or uh, everyone not very, behaved? Everyone behaved. We had yeah. a, a minder who came with us everywhere that uh, kept saying, a bit of decorum, please, girls, a bit of decorum. We were so excited because we're all teenagers working with our idols. Yeah. You know, Russell Morris, John Farnham, um, the people from the, the Zoot. Uh, just crazy, crazy times. And I remember going to a couple of Ian Meldrum's parties. I think they were in St Kilda, I don't remember. Uh, and there were the master's apprentices. There are all these big stars, and here's this young girl going, "Oh my God! I can't believe this is happening." I'm looking around at all these people, and and I'm part of it. It's like you have to keep pinching yourself. Uh, pinching myself. They've actually let me in instead of looking from the outside. I'm all part of it. It was amazing, just amazing. I didn't drink or smoke. You know, I was a good girl. Great, great. Yeah. So the chiffons. Is that what took you to Vietnam? Yeah. Yeah, so you went went as a group. We went as a group with the Australian government and then we went back to work for the American government for about three months and then I went back again as a solo act to work with a lady called Carmel Shane who is still working and gigging in Melbourne, yeah, after all these years. So um, how were you uh, approached to to go to Vietnam? Um, were they advertising for performers? No, you, you signed no, up no. Or, no, or they were looking for it's word of word of mouth. They were looking for uh, somebody to join an Australian troupe that was going to Vietnam. That's the way it worked. You had your band, you had your comedian, you had your compere, and two guest performers. And I was one of the guests. I imagine uh, there would be a lot of a lot of females that went. Yeah, a lot of females. Yeah. Um, was it a frightening experience? Um, being 16, I think I was the youngest to ever go to Vietnam. Little Patty was 17, I think, at the time she went. Yeah, sort of, because we, we were working in the sticks where there was just red mud everywhere, everywhere. And sometimes we'd get on a hill <clears throat> and we could see the rockets coming coming over from the VC and it was like uh, fireworks and it was fun, fun watching, you know, people It was a bit of an adventure, I uh, Very much an adventure. People were getting killed and, you know, it didn't... You Did didn't, the danger didn't register? It or? didn't register, no. It was just an exciting period of my life. It, it, we were, I, I was over there all together for about two years, yeah, from 69 to 71. So as performers, how was your, your safety guaranteed? We, did you travel with uh, assigned soldiers? Or yeah, with, with soldiers uh, on trucks. And I remember one time we were driving in a, in, a, in a truck and we were in the back and all these kids came up and we were going very slowly and started throwing rocks at us. For some reason, I probably would have, if I was in their position, I would have thrown a couple of rocks as well, you know, because the Americans had invaded their, their land and, and they were killing innocent people, terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't think, I think about that now, how, what a wasted war that was, how many lives were lost, including Australians. And I think, oh God, what a waste. Why? Why did we do that? 
And now, of course, it's one of the the, the biggest tourist attractions in the world. Yeah. And and I was talking to a friend who just got back. He said there are hotels everywhere, and it's very expensive. Right. And I'm just what Vietnam? You've got to be kidding. <laughs> yeah. So being uh, you know one of the few women over there at the time, did the men respect you? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. The Americans yeah. were like, hi, ma'am, you know. And uh, you respect a man without going without sex for such a long time. Well, that's what I'm, I'm thinking yeah, about. Yeah, there were rapes that, that did occur, that, right. you know, over there. Um, there's a book that was written called Minefields and Miniskirts With by Siobhan, Siobhan McHugh. McHugh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is very interesting. It tells a few secrets in that book, which I don't want to indulge in right now, but uh, it was a, a very interesting time. Because, of course, you were... That, that, and that profiles uh, women in the war, in the Vietnam yeah. War, doesn't it? Yeah, and nurses, uh, performers, all sorts of, of, of people, military people, and and the trouble that they had over there, the rapes that happened, the violence, um, the good stuff, of course. And, and uh, it also brushes on the impact that it had on the Australian uh, soldiers when they came back to Australia. They weren't respected in any way and people actually spat on them and disgusting things like that and, and the problems that the, the husbands had with their wives when they returned. Mm. You know, a lot, a lot took to drinking, a lot uh, started drugging and uh, it was a tragedy what, what happened to our returned soldiers from Vietnam. What's a, a lasting memory which often pops up for you of, well, of that my, period? My first love. Your first love? Okay, yeah. great. So you met him over there? Yeah, I met him over there. Oh, great. Without, he was introduced to me by Normie Rowe oh, right. in yep. Nui Dat. Yeah. Yeah. And I fell totally head over heels. Well, speaking of Normie, yeah. it's probably a nice segue <laughs> into a very yeah. different Normie. Mm. Uh, most performers are, if they're lucky, synonymous in their life, uh, associated with a particular uh, play or movie or song. Yeah. And in your case, it's a song called Rack Off Normie. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Well, remember I was talking about the right place, the right time. I was doing a show called The Mating... No, not The Mating Game. Uh, so I was playing a, a pregnant teenager who was going out on... It was called Girls' Night Out. And that was that... Um, the, the Jules Theatre Restaurant. Do you remember that? No. I think it was in Crown Street. And I got a note. <clears throat> I had beforehand done the Rocky Horror Show where I played Columbia, the original Rocky Horror Show with Rachel Livermore. And Bob Hudson happened to be in the chorus. And I just knew him as the guy in the chorus and he was a, a really nice guy. And I got this note when I was doing um, Girls' Night Out I've still got it in my scrapbook at home. Hey, Maureen, can you come into the studio uh, tomorrow to record Norman, which was the old, I can't remember her name, but remember, Norman. Ooh. Ooh. They yeah. used that. I think it's the soundtrack of the quiz on um, ABC Radio at Oh, night. is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. They call the quiz Norman. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, he wanted to record that, but we didn't have a B-side, so I went into the studio the following morning and, and instead of Norman it was Normie so in, in Australian accent Normie ooh, it's really silly and the b-side rack off Normie was written by Chris Neal and Bob Hudson in about seven minutes in the in the studio and I decided to do it in a funny voice I was minding me business really stupid voice <laughs> and it became a hit um, I couldn't believe it that such a stupid song could could touch so many people out there. Kids, yep. with five-year-old kids, knew the words to rack off Normie. Well, and I, and those, I meet them. One of those great novelty songs which yeah. pop up from time to time, um, Shut Up Your Face. Shut Up Your Face. Yeah, um, have you ever been to see King's that. Cross? Yeah. My Boomerang Won't Come Back. Yeah. Which we love in Australia, you know, so uh, really tapped into... Um, yeah, a, a sense of fun that we all it had. It did, yeah. it did. And uh, then we did the clip for the ABC countdown, uh, which was only shown once and it's disappeared into the ether. I have no idea. What they did in those days was use the um, the videotape and then record over it. So, so many wonderful songs and performance uh, performances have been lost because they just 
they got lost. Anyway, that that uh, song got my name out there into the general public, and that was a great thing. As far as my career went, it really uh, disturbed it because people that didn't know me or hadn't seen me really thought that I sang like that. Oh, right. So nobody would give me any work. Oh, really? Yeah, because I didn't think I could sing. So were you doing a lot of personal appearances singing Rackoff Normie? Uh, well, I was doing the club circuit at that time in Sydney and uh, there were 1,500 clubs in those days and uh, not, not many now doing uh, performances. But um, I did work a lot. I, I would do lots of shows and that would be the main song and they would stand up and clap and sing along and do the good day. My name's Normie. Do you want to, you know, all the, the feedback was, was unbelievable. Yeah, so I did that. So some some forty years later, mm. do, do people still bring it up? Yeah, yeah, still. Does that annoy you, or does oh, it please you? Oh, look, I'm I'm really happy to be remembered. Uh, I would just wish it was under different circumstances. With one of my other songs, <laughs> it was really fantastic that could show off my voice, but they were sort of thrown away. Uh, didn't get any airplay. And uh, people still remember, but I'm very grateful that they do because it's it's very hard to get your name around in this business. So when did you go out on your own? I mean, you're, you're with the chiffons. Did yep. you decide to leave them? Or? I decided to leave them. They were going nowhere. I just wanted to, um, I wanted to be by myself and have a solo career. So that started when I went to Vietnam the third time. Um, then I came back and I saw an ad in the paper, wanted actors for a new show called O'Calcutta. <laughs> the famous O'Calcutta. The famous O'Calcutta. So I auditioned for that. You had to take your clothes off, be totally naked. I, I was so, sort of okay with that. How old were you at the time? Um, 19, right. I think. Okay. And uh, I got the role and it was directed by a guy called Noel Tovey. Anyway, uh, that took us all over Australia because nobody would put the show on. Everywhere we tried to put along, we would get hundreds of people protesting and calling us sluts and whores and stuff like that. But and they probably knew nothing about the show. No, they, they didn't just know knew anything. that you're all nude. They they knew that at one point in the show we all went ha like that <laughs> the the big reveal, and uh, nobody would put it on because they they had all these Christian people people with respect to Christians calling us names and 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 doing all that. So finally, we landed in Sydney at the New Art Cinema in Glebe, where later Rocky was to play. And before the opening night, Noel Tovey came up and said, don't go on tonight because the police are out there, they're going to arrest you. And we all said, ho, 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 they're not going to, of course we'll go on. We don't give a stuff, you know. Lots the of show money. must go on. So we went on that night and sure enough, at, at uh, interval, we were arrested. You were arrested? Yep, arrested. Uh, they wouldn't even let us get dressed. We had our robes from the show, a long white robe from the show. They marched us uh, down to Glebe Police Station and fingerprinted us and put us in a cell. So arrested for indecency, Indeed. Well, the law in those days, indecent exposure, was that you could stand totally naked as long as you were totally still. But well, that's like the old... old <laughs> is it the Tivoli or what was the, the old... They had acts like that, and the girls had to be perfectly still. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But if you moved like that, decent, indecent exposure. Oh, isn't that insane? Oh, it is. And we got um, Ken Hawler, who was the, the head of civil civil liberties in those days, and he called us to get them out of prison, and he put up the bail and everything, and so we got out, and they eventually dropped the charges. I'm sure out there they've kept the, the copy of the fingerprints, though. And, uh, yeah, so that was O'Cal Cullen. That was the end of it. Uh, the pay was really good. I remember that. Oh, that's good. But it, 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 uh, so you ran about two performances, I think, or was oh, it the you cl were arrested oh, on opening night? on opening night? Right. Yeah, we never did another performance. Oh, so, O Calcutta's played half a performance. Yeah, in half Australia. a performance in Australia. Right. Yeah. So um, your solo career as an artist, mm. you uh, you recorded. Uh, no, Secret Love was with the Chiffons, wasn't it? 
Uh, we actually never. I'm sorry to uh, say so, but we never recorded that song. I don't know where that in, unless oh, I, a, I just don't remember. That was in my research, but that's false, yep. false news. False news, fake false news. news. All right. But you signed with Festival Records yep. on their Infinity label and recorded two singles. Yeah, Dynamite and Wild Thing. How did they go on the charts? Oh, they didn't didn't get any airplay. It was very much a Susie Quattro sound, wild thing, and they, and Dynamite was fantastic, fantastic song. Um, so, were, are they trying to market you as Australia's Susie Quattro? I think so. Yeah, right. the the company was. Um, and and then you signed with M Seven Records. Yeah. What were the what were the uh, singles and and the albums that you recorded there? Oh, that was with the wonderful Simon Heath. Um, a great producer who just taught me how to really reach those high notes and and taught me many, many things about singing. And I did a, a thing called Mephistopheles for him and on the Infinity label I, re, I released quite a few singles. I can't remember what they were at this time, but he was a wonderful producer. He made me sound so good. And then uh, got a contract to go to America uh, from him to record some stuff over there. So off I traipsed to the the Big Apple and uh, then to Los Angeles and stayed in Malibu for a few months. It was great. Were you recording covers or were people writing well, songs Well, they were supposed you? to write songs. I never recorded anything over there right. that I can remember. Uh, couldn't get a work visa, of course, so the whole thing was was sort of... For no reason, I stayed there and got a, a job that they paid cash under the table. I stayed there for two years and then my visa ran out, so I had to come back. And what about the two albums that you did with uh, M7 Records? Were they covers or people writing? No, for... I wrote the first one. Uh, was called simply Maureen Elkner, and I wrote half the the uh, LP which I'd never done before. I'd never written songs, and this was a, a theme-faced album about falling in love and breaking up and heartbreak and stuff. Yeah, some of the songs are really good. So let's let's return to, uh, you, you've touched on it, but your musical theatre career, mm. because you were uh, present at the beginnings of two very seminal works of musical theatre in Australia, the original productions of Jesus Christ Superstar yeah. and The Rocky Horror Show. So that must have been incredibly exciting. Um, it, it, it was. Um, I have to correct something, though. I wasn't in the original production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Weren't you? No, it well, says... How did I get that? I don't know. Is it's that fake it? news again. So I've read that in research, haven't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's... Did you, was, it, um, was it hair then? No, it wasn't even did here. Did somebody see you coming out of a church? <laughs> they might have. I don't know how that got on there because I did Superstar in 1992 with, with Farnham, Kate Sobrano and John Stevens. Okay, so uh, there might be a bit of crossed wires I think there. so, but I did do the original production of The Rocky Horror. So The Rocky Horror Show was incredible. It was uh, directed by Jim Sharman and I got a call from my agent and said, oh, you know, this, this show called The Rocky Something... She couldn't remember what it was. Is auditioning, and they want to see you. And, and uh, so I turned up, and I can't remember the song I sang. But uh, then Jim Sharman said, "Can you just do a, an impression of Mae West?" And so I thought, "Okay." So I, I just said, "Come up and see me sometime." And I got the role. Of Columbia. I got the, I got the role of Columbia. Right. He said, "I want you," and, and that was it. That was it. And it was one of the most exciting periods of my my career and my life. So could you tap dance? Uh, yes, I went to tap dancing classes. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, just a basic time step. Yeah, yeah. In the middle of the time warp. In the middle of time warp, mm. yeah. And uh, Sal Sharar, a very dear friend of mine who's also a wonderful actor and singer, his son is Tom Sharar. Yep. You might know him. He's going places. Anyway, uh, Sal Sharar played Riff Raff. <clears throat> and one night after the time warp, he puts me on, he picks me up and throws me over his shoulder Unfortunately, he threw me over his shoulder this day and I landed in the third row of the New Art Cinema on somebody's lap and I, I broke my, my front tooth on the, the chair and uh, it was bleeding like crazy and got back up on the stage and just continued with this blood running down my face. Very funny memory, yeah. 
Well, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I mean, was probably quite at home. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it that mm. you had blood running down your, your face? But it was a phenomenal cast. I mean, we're talking about Kate Fitzpatrick, mm. Arthur Dignam, Jane Harders. Yeah. Um, they were big guns, and I was terrified of working with, with all these wonderful, wonderful actors. John Paramore was a Shakespearean actor who got the role of Brad, which was totally out of, uh, of style for him. Um, yeah, I was this little girl that didn't know anything about theatre. And when I found out that you had give, to give gifts on opening night, I didn't, I didn't have any. I, I didn't know the tradition and I was so embarrassed. Everybody was giving cards and gifts and stuff and I thought, oh, God, nobody told me. And I, I must admit that uh, one, of, one of the cast members hated me and uh, really stirred me up, said I couldn't act, I couldn't sing and just, uh, you know, I'll never forget that, actually. Uh, was very, very nasty to me. Well, it would... Um, it starts to... You, you to question yourself, I guess, mm, and affect your performance. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think the public were ready for what they were about to see? No. How did they respond? Well, they, had, they, they were horrified when, when Reg Livermore came out in sweet transvestite and opened up and did the big reveal and he's dressed in, in these uh, stockings and a, a suspender belt and... And this thing, I mean, they you could hear the audible <gasps> shock of the people and we almost closed. The, the Rocky Horror Show almost closed after the fifth week. Uh, we had to paper the room. Harry had to paper, Harry Miller, had to uh, paper the room many, many times because people just didn't buy tickets. And then the word of mouth took out, uh, got out, and you couldn't get a seat. Yeah. It was wonderful. We would do a midnight performance as well. Oh, that'd be great. That'd yeah, be great. and that was Atmospheric. packed, packed with people. And in those days, it did. It was so different to the production these days. This production. Well, I think that, that production that we're seeing, uh, you know, th- this year, and and it's a, a return season of. Um, I think it first started about five years ago, maybe. <coughs> but anyway, my point is, it's a very shiny production. It's a very oh, very it's slick. clean, sleek yeah. production. Whereas I think the beauty of that original Rocky Horror was that it was grungy. It was, it was grungy, dirty, and it was in a dirty, filthy theatre. The new art cinema looked like. Right. Is that it an old a, cinema? Yeah, very yeah, old, yeah. very old. It was supposed to have a ghost there, um, that that kind of, yeah, new art cinema. And I don't think it's there anywhere. It is there, but I think it's offices now. Once again, a lost, beautiful theatre in Sydney. Um, yes, yeah, so... Lots of grunge and Reg Livermore was so wonderful to work from an acting point of view because and a characterisation. You never knew what he was, what he was going to do next. Right. And many, many times we, we, the, whole, uh, the whole cast went up because he would do something that he'd never done before. And we're thinking, oh, God, what's he going to do next? Oh, that was such fun. In the moment, keeping it fresh. Yeah, oh, keeping it fresh yeah. every single night, and I don't know how he did it. But that's the kind of guy he is. He's an excellent actor and excellent at characterisation. Did the production tour? No. Oh, yes, of course it oh, did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it went to Melbourne. Um, I was working in, pardon me, working in uh, hotels in, in the Philippines at the time. I only stayed with the show about a year right. and, and left because there was a, a different contract. Um and, of course, we recorded the album. We recorded the album in one take after two shows that we did that night on a Friday night. After the midnight session, he got us, Harry got us into the recording studio and we put the, the tracks down and they say to this day it's the best production because it's raw. It's like one take. Yeah. And so you get all the um, maybe little mistakes in it that I, that I can hear, but it's a great album. So Harry and Miller, of course, the, the great impresario who mm. produced it, who we lost recently. Yeah. What was Harry like to work for? Oh, he was a bastard. You know, he, oh. he, he was. Yeah, hard taskmaster. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, one of his sayings was, ah, pay him peanuts and you get monkeys. And one of the, when we asked for a rise, we were all getting $100 a week. I think Reg was getting $400 a week. And when we all got together and asked for a rise, he said, well, what are you bitching about? You only work two hours a day. You know, so you're not getting your... He was like that, very, very strict. And I remember he told the stage manager at one point, tell Maureen she's got to lose 10 pounds in 10 days or she's out of the show. And I did. And and we created 
rocky because there were no videos, there were no, uh, we had a basic script, uh, there were no videos available. The Rocky Horror Picture Show was actually filming at that time, I think in 1974. So we had nothing to base our characters on. So the Columbia, the Riff Raff, the Frankenfurter, all those characters we created. Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting later on to see how many, how different other people played it. Yeah. Yeah. What other musicals have you done? Uh, Beehive, Beehive, of course, which was a, uh, a tribute to the 60s, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it was. It was so a we review had type show. Three black singers uh, coming from America. There were six of us all together. And uh, we were lucky enough, well, I was lucky enough to sing some great songs. Uh, Aretha Franklin and I did with The Black Chick. That was a duet. And she sang um, Do Right Woman with me while I was doing Natural Woman on stage. And it was a, yeah, it was like a competition, a singing competition. And 1992, Superstar came along. Now, that was just before I turned down, just after I turned down the ensemble in Les Miserables, which I'd been called back for several times. I was at the original Australian production. The original Australian Normie production. Normie Rowe and yes. Debbie Byrne and yes. Philip Quast. I was offered a role in that and uh-huh. stupidly turned it down and did another show called Piaf at the Marion Street Theatre. Yeah. What? Were you playing Piaf? Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. And, uh, yes, uh, later I guess Les Mis ran a little bit longer than Piaf. Piaf. <laughs> Piaf was only five weeks, yeah. Right. Um, but great production. It's mm. a shame that you weren't in it. Yes, a great shame. It's one of the regrets of my my life, not being in that show, because I I just loved the show so much. But I guess as we talked about a little bit earlier, off off mic, um, just about sliding doors, the opportunities which are presented to us, but we decide to go through another door and our our life, our career goes in a completely different direction. That's right. That's what it's all about. Right place, right time. Yeah, right place, right time. Yeah. Uh, and your Dusty Springfield tribute show, you uh, toured in, in Cabaret for a long time? Yeah, for a long yeah. time, for for three years. We toured all over Australia, uh, did the clubs, and um, it was really, really loved by people. Uh, getting around, uh, touring is really tough, you know, when you, you have to get in the car and go places and do a show that night, then pack up everything and, and get try and get some sleep and then travel to the next shows, driving around... Eight to twelve hours a day—it's ridiculous. So I, I don't do it anymore. It's it's crazy, touring. But that's what I did with Dusty. It gives yeah, you an opportunity to see a bit of the country. It I does. Yeah. It does. That's the only good thing about it. But I'm so scared of when you're driving in that car at night and the kangaroos come out. That's really scary stuff, you know. So I, I refuse to travel at night. Totally, it's not worth it. Uh, but you'd be touring with a stage manager, I guess, or a company uh, manager or something? No, or you doing another, it by yourself? another act. I went by myself with another act who would drive right. and they would set up the whole show for me. So he would go on, do his little bit, then I would come on as Dusty with the wig and the, the costumes and the go-go boots, all that kind of stuff. And people just love reminiscing about the 60s because it was such a great era in our lifetime. Do you still sing? I do, uh, occasionally. Um, not that there's that much work around, but I have to sing. It's, it's my life. It's, it's, if I don't sing, I feel like part of me is missing. So I sing at home uh, and I try and get as, as much work that I want to do that I, that I can, but I don't want to do stuff in in dives or, or you know I don't I don't have to sing anymore. You've got the runs on the board. You've got the credits. Uh, I've got, got the, the credits. Yeah. yeah, I don't have to really prove myself because it's already there. But I I just love to sing. I have to sing. Did you ever do radio jingles? I did. Yeah. I did. Um, in the Kerry Bedell days in the early seventies, there was Janice Slater, Kerry Bedell, and myself, and we did a lot of jingles. How did you know that? I, I just assume <laughs> that as a singer, That's you, know, very clever. you do what you can yeah. to uh, to make a living. And certainly, you know, with actors, there's the, the voiceover work and advertisements, etc. So a natural sort of connection would be singers and, and the yeah. jingles. <clears throat> it yeah. was with Terry Hannigan in those days. We're all getting on a bit now. But um, it was fabulous work because you would go into the studio, 
get an idea of how the song went because in those days I couldn't sight read. Uh, get an idea how the, the jingle was going to go. If you don't know what a jingle is, it's advertising for a particular product uh, with music. And so uh, we would do it. We were called for three hours. It would take maybe 15 minutes to do it and you get paid all this money. It's fantastic. Yeah. So are you still um, still acting or a, a, an actor for hire? You, I'm an actor for hire. Castings? I'm available. I don't really get that much opportunity to go to castings because I'm at a funny age and I, I apparently look younger than I am. It's very hard to fit in that slot that people create for you. There's no slot created for me at the moment, unfortunately. I'd love to do another soapy. I did the Restless Years uh, for a long time and that was great. Her character was very much... Uh, well, that was another being in the right place at the right time. Ross McGregor, the producer... I was at a party that I was at and he came up to me and said, we've got a role that we want you to audition for. Marilyn, she's a bikey. (laughs) This is after Rackoff, Normie. And uh, I auditioned and I got the role and it was a very popular role too. It's wonderful. Loved working on The Restless Years. Loved television because it's um, it's happening now. You're in the moment. They they don't allow you to do too many takes because they've, they've got a time limit on, on how long they can shoot. So you have to know your script. And there was a very naughty actor on that show, I won't mention any names, that he used to put his script on the wall or somewhere on the table if he was acting on a table, you know, sat at a table, he would put the, the script on a stand right in front of him so he could go like that. He didn't bother ever learning his script. Nothing really annoys me. So certainly uh, a career is tough for women of a certain age. Oh, definitely. Especially in this country. Why why is that, do you think? I don't know. I don't think that the writers have the imagination. Uh, There are some very good writers out there that do some magnificent stuff. The Underbelly series was incredible. I would have loved to have been a part of that. I just don't think they have the imagination to write for people of a certain age. They, it's easy for them to write for a young person or a young mum or somebody young. If you have a look at television these days, it's all young people. There are no uh, older people apart from shows like Home and Away probably. Um, I think that they, we're all great, you know, we're all terrific at what we do. Come and write something for us so that we can act. Again, you're very lucky to get a role at, at a certain age. Very lucky. So what stage are you at now? I mean, we, you start life <laughs> as the, the young ingenue. The young ingenue, and then all of a sudden you're the oldest in the cast and people are treating you like a granny. It's just incredible. Uh, the thing about getting old, especially for a performer, I think, is that you're still inside your head. You're still about 20, but your body is just going, no, you're not anymore, Maureen, you know. Uh, but there is, I'd love someone to write a part for an older woman. The English do it all the time, don't they? Yeah. Midsummer Murders is is a typical example of how they use older people all the time. There was an episode on it last night about a a, a rock band of the 60s coming to the Midsummer and doing a show. And that's exactly what it's like, you know, when all these fans got up and and, and they were playing guitar and, and there were hippies there and it was just like it was in the 60s. Fabulous writing and everybody, every single actor in that show is just brilliant. So why can't they do it here? Yeah. it's a, I forget which actor said it, but I'll substitute your name for, for what, what they said. But, uh, you know, an actor's career is um, get me more in Alkna. Mm. Then it moves to get me a more in Alkna type. <laughs> and then it's who's more in Alkna? That's true. That's right. That's so clever. Who said that? I, I, I can't remember. That's why I substituted your name. But um, yes, it was some. Some, but it's absolutely right. Yeah, isn't it? It is. Sort of there are the very, phases that you move through. Yeah, I think very few casting people would know who, who I am or uh, what I've done unless they googled me or something like that. Exactly. Who's Maureen Elkner? That's that's what show business is all about. You can be up there and be a star one day. And then, and working in a restaurant or, or um, uh, pho- you know, the, the people that sell stuff over the phones, what are they called? Call centres. Call centres. Mm. 
and nobody knows who you are and then you get this big role again you're up there and it's a very uh wonderful business but it can be if you're not ready for it it can be very depressing it's a wonderful profession, but a tough industry. A very tough industry. Mm-hmm. I feel sorry for the people out there. I must um, say the the people now that are going to Whopper, that wonderful place in Western Australia, and they're, they're coming to Sydney to get acting work, they're fabulous. They're really fabulous. There's one thing that's missing in, in all of it that I've really felt strongly about. There's no soul. They're all terrific dancers, terrific actors, terrific singers. So technically good. They're technically good, mm. but there's nothing there that makes Heart. you feel. Yeah. You know, you. I, I can cry the drop of a hat if something really affects me. Yeah. And, and that's what I want when I go to the theatre. I want it to really get inside me and make me feel something like we were talking about the music that makes you feel something. That does, very rarely happens to me these days, and I'm not criticising any young actors out there at all. It's just... It's just advice. Yeah, the ones that I've seen, they, they, they're very clever, but they don't have soul. Yeah. Yeah. How do you um, entertain yourself? Uh, I know that you have a dog. I've got a dog, a beautiful dog. She's 15 years old. She's a rescue. She's got three teeth, and she's blind. And so we go for walks in Sydney Park. She loves that. They're great companions. Aren't oh, they? I don't know what I'd do without my, my pet, my right. dog, right. my life. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. pretty pretty terrible, isn't it, when your dog is your whole life? No, no, I think it's fantastic. You know, dogs are, um, are beauteous creatures. What's her name? Baby. Baby. B-A-B-Y, yeah. And how did that name come about? Uh, her, when I picked her up from the pound in Whoop Whoop, uh, her original name was B-A-B-I, and I didn't know Barbie or Babby or... And so I, Baby was close, so I could just called her Baby. And she loves it. She's got a brand-new life with me because she was mistreated before. And they just love you to death. I mean, they love you unconditionally. Have you always had dogs? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Always had dogs. Great. I love them. They're great company. Yeah. Maureen, thank you for sharing your stories today. Thanks, um, Peter. It's great I really enjoyed stages. it. Yeah. No, it's it's um it's wonderful to uh, to talk to you, and um, I'm sure our listeners have um, certainly been enlightened <laughs> by um, what you've had to say today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. That was very enjoyable. Thanks. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for listening, dear listener. Uh, no doubt you've heard quite a few interviews on the Stages podcast by now, but in case you've missed any, don't forget that you can find the rest of them in our archives. And uh, have you subscribed yet to Stages? Do so and keep up to date with every new guest episode as it is released. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts or through our hosting platform, Wooshka. And please take the time to rate and review the podcast in the iTunes directory. It helps to grow our audience and reach more Stages listeners. I'm Peter Ayers, and I'll catch you next time on Stages.